Don't burn. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another show here, Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, and of course I am here with my special host, special friend, kind of like a teddy bear cuddle buddy, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Uh, I was doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had All to right. add a little teddy bear cuddle buddy person, you know. Oh, uh, thank you. Know yeah, happy uh, summer to you, too. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, you guys had and you guys had a lot of drought going up in Seattle. I don't know what's going on up there. Not much rain, and you guys had fires, and you guys acted more like L.A. than Seattle. Yeah, no, I, I don't think uh, the city of Seattle got the memo this summer. It's, I don't think it was so strange. Either. Yeah, but we are joined here by a very special guest, someone we've never had on the show before. Uh, his, name is, his name is E.J. Copperman, and his latest book is the newest in one of his series. Now it's his fourth series. Um, it's called Dog Dish of Doom. It is an Agent to the Paws mystery series now, like I said, so it's his, it's his fourth series. It's got like three books coming out this year. Just had one come out in May. It's got another come out in October. So it's going to be great to be able to talk to him first. So are you ready, Jeff? Let's do it. You got anything else to add, or you just want to burp, or are you good to go? No, I, I'm good to go. I'm happy to talk to EJ. I'm excited. All right, here we go. Books. So, well, hey, EJ, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Absolutely, awesome. and so so like I mentioned, your latest book, Dog Dish of Doom, is the first in a new series. You have three ongoing series going on now with um, one of your last books that just came out uh, was in May. You have another one coming out in October, but this one just came out a couple days ago, Dog Dish of Doom. So tell us you know, about what you got going on in this new series. Uh, well, the new series uh, concerns itself with uh, a theatrical agent, uh, in New York City, uh, whose clients are all animals. Um, so, uh, so her business is basically finding, you know, the right cat or the right monkey or the right whatever uh, for a TV show or a, or a film or a play or you know, a human sacrifice, whatever happens to work. And um, in this, in the first book in Dog Dish of Doom, she's uh, she's found a uh, very talented big shaggy dog who is in line to get the role of Sandy in a uh, revival of the Broadway musical Annie. And uh, things are going well except that the dog's owners are uh, incredibly obnoxious to the director. So he insists that something be written into the contract that will keep them away from all rehearsals. And that becomes something of a moot point when the dog's owner is found that night with a knife in his back and his face in the dog's water dish. Things go steadily downhill from there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, One of the things I love about all of your books is in between the mysteries, you have so much humor. They're laugh-out-loud funny. Oh, thank you. So I'm wondering, how do you mix the humor with the chaos? You don't. Um, What happens, the way I look at it, 
I mean, my goal has always been to write a comedy with a mystery in it rather than the other way around. Um, so if I get you to laugh and the you know solution of the mystery doesn't exactly hold water, I'm fine with that. Um, I mean, you know, my editor isn't, which is why you know the plot points always get sewn up. But I am much more interested in making the reader laugh than I am in uh, in the mechanics of the plot necessarily. That's not to say that they aren't you know thought out, um, but I'm always looking for the laugh. That's that's my thing. Um, but you can't layer comedy onto a mystery. It, if it doesn't happen naturally, if it doesn't come to you as a writer, if it doesn't come to you just like that's what you want to do, and you're saying, well, I must have a laugh here so I will now manufacture one, it's probably not going to be funny. Right. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, you can see that just when when people are trying to be funny, it really kind of does fall flat, but... When you decided, you know, when you're looking at, like, making a new series, like you just did here with an Agent to the Pause mystery series, what what was it about you wanting to write a new one instead of just going ahead and wrapping some of your writing and the mysteries within some of the other three series that you have, you know, that you already have going on? What was it about the characters? What was it about you wanted to explore maybe with yourself or the characters that wanted, that made you start this series? No, it's basically money. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, you know, you have three series going, and that's great, and I love having a lot of series, um, and I love writing the same characters, but that's not all I want to do. So if I get an idea for something that seems like it could be fun, and I can, you know, invent some brand-new characters and and have some fun with them, um, I will give it a shot, you know, so you call up your agent and you say, I think I have something, and he says, let me talk to some editors, and if one of them likes it, you're in good shape. And if they don't, then not so much, you know. Yeah. Why, why do you write series as opposed to doing a standalone here or there? A standalone? Um, I don't know. I, I think that um, I haven't had a really good, strong, standalone idea that I wanted to do. I've written, I have actually, I mean, to be fair, I've actually written a couple of standalones that haven't gotten published, which might be, you know, something of a signal. Oh. Okay. Um, you know, and they also, I, I, neither one of them was a mystery either. So, uh, you know, it might be that, you know, I should shut up and do my job. <laughs> well, now, did you... What, what were mysteries what you you know grew up loving and reading and, and wanting to fall in love with, or was it another genre like you said, and then you just kind of fell yourself into writing mysteries? You know what I grew up, not so much reading because there's not that much to read, but um, what I grew up loving and wanting to do was comedy. Um, you know my heroes, my writing heroes, were you know, the guys in the in the writing room at the Sid Caesar show, like, you know, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks and Neil Simon, and like all those guys. Those were my writing heroes, um, even though they were, you know, doing all their work before I was born. Um, but you find out about them. Um, so it wasn't that. I read some, I read mysteries when I was young, um, and I liked the form. I think that a l- there are a lot more mysteries than you think there are. A lot of stories actually are mysteries 
that don't present themselves that way. They may not be murder mysteries necessarily, but something like Citizen Kane is a mystery. You know, mm-hmm. what's Rosebud? Nobody knows until the end of the, uh, the movie when it's revealed. And even then, none of the characters ever find out. But that's the mystery. That's what the, anything that begins with a question is a mystery. And if the audience wants to know something or the reader wants to know something, you're writing a mystery. You know, and, and you mentioned comedy, and you said that you wanted to get in comedy. And, of course, you know, this past weekend we just lost two, you know, icons in Jerry Lewis and, and Dick Gregory. Um, yeah. Were, were they kind of influences with you? What's that? Were they influences with you? I mean, were there people that you grew up watching? I mean, you know, with, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis, of course, being 91 and had, you know, such yeah. a great career from the 50s, you know, forward. And, you know, maybe, you know, not so much in the last couple decades but, um, you know, and, of course, Dick Gregory, you know, breaking ground and, and doing some things that, you know, he did, like, on the Jack Parr show. I think, he, I think I heard somebody say he was the first black comedian to say, to go to Jack Parr and say, I'm not going to do the show unless I get a sit-down with That's you. That's right. I'm not just going to do my true. act and leave. Yeah, okay, so that's true. Okay, good. And and Jack, I guess, agreed to that, which was something back then that was, like, unheard of for, like, a black com- comic to get that audience. Yeah, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, so I don't know what the policy right. was. Um, I think, you know, with, with Parr, it might have just been that, you know, it had never occurred to him before. Um, True. You know, or not. I don't really know. Um, but uh, Dick Gregory, by the by the time I was a kid, Dick Gregory was kind of more um, a full-time activist than he was a comedian. So I never really got to see him being funny. Um, you know, you saw him more kind of in marches and, and talking seriously about, you know, major issues. And I admired him, but I never really thought of him as a comedian because I had never seen him do comedy. Um, Jerry Lewis, was, who was actually, like I said, from my hometown, he's from Irvington, New Jersey, um, right. which now makes me the, actually the greatest living comedic talent from Irvington, New Jersey, because it was basically him and me and he died. Um, <laughs> oh, so, uh, I, I guess, yeah. he he was not a huge influence on me. I was I wasn't a great big Jerry Lewis fan. Um, I was you know I was more into you know the more cerebral stuff like you know Mr. Mr. Peabody and Sherman and you know things like that. Yeah. Well, you can't go wrong with those. That's for sure. Interesting. No. Yeah. Um, Although so I'm, I'm told that the I, first I, I, movie I, I ever went to see was a Jerry Lewis movie. So. Oh really? What was your, what was what was which one was it? They tell me it was Cinderella. Oh okay. Oh. Yeah. I remember seeing my first in the theaters. Jerry Lewis movie was hardly working. I remember my okay. dad took me to see that one. Yeah. I see, so that. you're a lot younger than I am. I'm 47. Well, I turned 47. Yeah. In you're a lot younger than hours. I am. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I turned forty-seven in four hours. So. Oh, happy I, almost your yeah. birthday! Thank you. So I'll just call myself forty-seven. Might as well. I mean, so I, I feel what like I'm sixty-seven. So shit, you know. Hey, I'm gonna be sixty next month, man. Hey, congratulations! Oh, hey. <laughs> well, yeah. I haven't done it yet, but you're you know, going. Yeah, but you'll it. get there. Yeah, I'm, get I'm working there. steadily at it. <laughs> well. I have to ask, um, since you write comedy well in book, have you ever tried stand-up yourself? Oh, God, no. I am I am far too big a coward. 
Um, no, I I couldn't do stand up. It scares the living hell out of me. Um, I mean, just trying to remember the act when you got on stage and having enough material to be able to do more than like you know twelve seconds um, just intimidates me no end. I I have never tried it. I never will try it. Um, I it can I be brutal love here. watching other people do it. Yeah. I think that's okay, well, you do it so well. So um, at least, at least in print. I, but I get you. I get you. Um, print is where I can do it because print. I understand the medium, and there's no audience sitting there immediately telling me that that was a bad joke. You know, I can just decide for myself that that's funny. Right. Gotcha. And yeah. it, I mean, so, even you know, you send in manuscripts to editors and stuff, and I've had some really terrific editors that I've worked with. Um, I've gotten back tons and tons and tons of notes, but I've never gotten one that said this joke isn't funny. Now I have occasionally gotten one that said I don't understand the reference, um, but you know I haven't gotten one that said, well, you know, you really wrote a terrible joke here. Gotcha. That's very good considering the number of books you've written. That's that's great. Even a lot of my editors have no idea what's a good joke. I don't know. You don't want those two. <laughs> well, that's true. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious, since you have three books coming out this year, technically, how fast can you write? Almost four, actually, because um, there will be oh, another one in oh, January. Yeah. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, well, how fast can I write? Um, I mean, are you writing right now while you're talking to us? No. No. I am not actually writing while I'm talking to you. You would hear it. Oh, okay. Um, okay. No. I, I write a thousand words a day. That's what I do. I write a thousand words okay. a day. That gets you a book in le- a little less than three months. And then I move on to the next one. Um, I have occasionally been working on two things at the same time. And I actually kind of like it um, because if you hit a wall in one, you can always go and work on the other one and then come back kind of with fresh eyes. So, uh, you know, there's there's a certain uh, utility to it. Um, I don't do it, you know, consciously. I only do it if the schedule insists on it. Well, okay. now, we've talked about, of course, the other books and the other series and um, – the next one I think that comes out is is going, or the one that just came out was in the Mysterious Detective series called Edited Out. Um, that's tell right. Us that a little came bit out about, in May. Yeah, that, that's the one that came out in May, and then you had the dog dish that just came out three days ago. So tell us a little bit about that Mysterious Detective series and maybe, you know, why it's a little different than this one here so people will get kind of a taste of, of kind of okay. everything that you're into. Uh, the Mysterious Detective series is different from pretty much everything else. Um the idea is that, uh, you know, I started with the idea of a writer who I made, well, she's, you know, a woman, so she's not just exactly like me, um, but she <laughs> writes, you know, kind of mid-list mystery novels. She's probably a little bit more successful than I am in terms of, you know, kind of respect and stuff. Um, but... She writes a, one series with a character who um, is especially – he's a consultant with the police. He doesn't actually work for the police. He, he works with them. 
um, and he specializes in missing persons uh, cases. And she gets she's finishing up her latest book, and the phone rings. And this guy calls up and says, hi, I really need help with something. And he insists that he is the living incarnation of the character that she's written. Not that he's somebody like that, that he's um, – so she kind of has to deal with that. And, you know, so the series is really kind of her trying to convince this character that, you know, like he obviously had some sort of mental trauma and picked up this uh, – identity because he doesn't remember anything more than five years ago when she started writing the books um, and him trying to convince her that no there is this kind of strange you know paranormal supernatural thing that happened and he just you know became a living creature because she decided to write him so that's that's where it goes it's, yeah, it's a gotcha. lot sillier than it sounds it's not quite <laughs> as uh, philosophical as all that well, written off, the first book was great in the series. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's, you I, know, a, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, because all, all the series are written in the first person, so the narrator is always talking directly to you. Right. And in that one especially, it's kind of her kind of saying to the to the reader, okay, I'm not crazy. This is nuts, right? Um, and she does that quite a bit. Yeah, it's almost like breaking the third wall or the fourth wall. Or the yes, fifth wall, which is whatever, something I like to do a lot. There. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of wall, wall breaking in there. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever wall, wall is available. Exactly. <laughs> well, as long as it's not a border wall. But I'm digressing. Um. Oh <laughs> shit! Here we go. <laughs> oh sorry. No, um, I wanted want to ask you about the point of view. What's that? And because you you mentioned writing the first person, um. Do you enjoy writing the first person from the detective point of view better than, say, doing the third person? Um, I'm. I have tried writing in the third person a couple of times, and it doesn't come across as well. Um, because for one thing, the the kind of comedy that I, that I like to write into these books is the narrator talking directly to the reader, mm-hmm. and and kind of commenting on what's going on, and. You really can't do that with a third-person narrator. So it would have to be kind of the situation and the dialogue and stuff like that, all which I like to do, but I really like to kind of have that comment, that that ability for the for the character to say to the reader, you know, whatever's really going through their mind when they can't say that in real life. And that, that's or, one of the other reasons why I like the books real life, like. anyway. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask you about the Asperger's series as well. Yeah. Um, you co-wrote them with another author I really like um, named Jeff Cohen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I I know who Jeff Cohen is. Uh, <laughs> but I thought so you might I. want to talk about um, using the pseudonym and how do you co-author with yourself? I collaborate with myself <laughs> on, the, on that series. I do. Um, <laughs> I, I was inspired when uh, when Evan Hunter wrote a book with himself. Um, and what, what actually happened was that, um, before I, I, I have a series, probably the best known series I have is called the Haunted Guest House series. Right. And that started, um, I guess we're on book nine now. Um, 
and the publisher at the time wanted decided that they wanted me to use a pseudonym uh on the on the book um and you know we kind of went back and forth with that for a while you know there are various reasons most of which were um you know kind of financial um from the publisher's point of view uh, in short, my real name wasn't selling well, um, so they wanted a different name on the book. Um, so, you know, that got bandied about, and we came up with the name. Uh, you know, that's a whole story in and of itself. And, um, you know, it went on the book, and the, and the book sold much better than my previous books when I was just being me. So that sort of happened, and then when I got, when we got to the point where I wanted to do a second series and I came up with the idea for the Asperger series and that was that um, the character is someone who is on the autism spectrum um, and again is in the first person so he is talking directly to the reader you know, and processing his own thoughts and seeing the, the, uh, you know, the plot through his prism um, that was going to be more interesting to me to write that character that way. Um, but because I'd written a couple of nonfiction books on Asperger's and raising, I have a son who has Asperger's, so we, you know, raise a child who is now 28 years old. Um, and because I had written those nonfiction books and because I had something of, you know, a decent reputation in the, uh, you know, sort of spectrum community, uh, I insisted that my name needed to go on that book. And the publisher said, well, yeah, but Copperman sells better, so we compromise and put both names on the book. And that's how I got to collaborate with myself. <laughs> that's so cool, nice. though. So, did, yeah, so it, you, you could have done a little Eric Carmen on there, right? A little All By Myself. That could have been like the song choice that you could have had on there. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you know, it's yeah. really more kind of torn between two lovers, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, um, that's a good one, too. We could we could do a soundtrack. We could definitely we do a could. soundtrack we could, for that. We could do a mixtape. <laughs> well, like oh, that. my God. How long has it been since you've done a mixtape? Me? Uh, probably about... <laughs> 25 years? Oh, I was going to... I thought you were going to say, oh, just like last week. <laughs> no, no. Not anymore. I, we, well, we moved about a year ago into another house, and I had about 300 cassette tapes. And I finally looked at them, and I said, enough's enough. I'm not going to bring <laughs> these with us this time. So I took them over to a used record store, and I had this massive two boxes. And the guy goes, oh, he goes, well, the owner's not here to kind of look at them to do it. And I said, dude, they're yours then, because I am not taking them back home. Congratulations. Here's the donation. <laughs> yeah. well, I actually, I got, I got a cassette deck that um, will digitize. Yeah, tape. I got one, so too. I, so I digitized a bunch of those, and I digitized all my vinyl records. Uh, yeah, and I still miss them. I took there was actually something that I had that you can it was a USB right from the computer and it just literally took it and it just played the cassette and I just and I just did it that way and I just digitized them all in MP3s and they sound good, you know because yeah. some of those you can't yeah, you know some of those tapes or... you can't get anymore you know they're out of print and even like with Spotify and stuff they're still not around. I mean I had like the original. 
Metallica Kill 'Em All when they had the two bonus tracks on there. Where if you get it now, they're not on there anymore. You know, yeah. so I had like some alternate covers, and that was kind of cool. But it was enough was enough. So yeah, I got it. Um, but you know, now when you're sitting there and thinking also about you know writing a book, how important is the title? Because your titles are are very. I mean, I mean, they're really cool. It's kind of, I guess we'll stick with music. It's kind of like an REO Speedwagon title on their covers because they had like the greatest <laughs> album names that you could have. So, you know, where do your ideas kind of come from on that one? Um, it depends. Uh, when I, the first book in the Asperger series was supposed to be called Cooler Heads because um, that was my title for it because the idea of that one was that um, the character was looking into a missing head from a cryogenics laboratory. Um, so that was supposed to be called Cooler Heads. I thought that was a nice play. And the publisher went, yeah, but we really kind of want to do sort of a Sherlock Holmesy thing. And so each book in the series will be called The Question Of, because the idea of the character is that he opens up a storefront and puts a sign in the window that says, Questions Answered. And that's his business. You come in with a question, whatever it is, and he will figure out, you know, he will give you the accurate answer, if, assuming that he finds the question interesting. If he thinks it's a stupid, dull question, he'll send you home. Um, so each one was going to be the question up, so it became the question of the missing head instead of cooler heads. Um, so sometimes the publisher dictates the title. Most of the time the title is what I asked for, you know, what I just wrote down when I started. Um, and I think the idea of a title is, is sort of multi-layered in that you have to have some plot information so that the reader has a general idea of what the story's about. Um, and you, from my point of view, I think because the books are supposed to be, you know, comedies, um, you need a little bit of wordplay going on in there so that people understand that it's not a, you know, cold stone thriller that's mm-hmm. going to scare them because um, that's not what I do. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to read them, but I can't write them. Um, so it needs that. It needs a little kind of taste of what the tone is going to be. And it also, I think, should have a little bit of kind of, you should pardon the expression, mystery to it in that it's not going to give you so much information that you feel like you shouldn't have to read the book. Gotcha. Cool. So that's where titles come from. I'm just curious, um, when you look at the cozy mystery genre, and I kind of put you in that genre because, yeah, you know, I, you've I got the cute titles. Yeah, I think fairly fair. In most of the series, maybe not every book, but close. Right. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think not very many men write the cozy mystery genre? Um, first of all, I think there are probably more than you know about. A lot of people don't know who E.J. Copperman is. Um, well, they do now. Well, yeah, and the cover's blown <laughs> now, man. Uh, well, unless you're digitizing your voice and you are really a woman and you decide to become a man, that's, you know, that's entirely possible. <laughs> and he, hey, you know, I identify Just don't join the military, but you're good, but it's entirely possible. You know, um... <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near there. Uh, <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't worry. I'll walk into the. I'll walk into the quicksand. I don't give a shit. I. You know. I'll. I'll. I'll get. I'll get there with you. 
Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be right next to you in the quicksand. Uh, what was the question? Uh, oh, sorry. Um, men writing coaches. We were talking men about how shitty President Trump yeah. was. Oh, no, we weren't. Were we? No, not that one. Well, any minute now. Um, <laughs> men writing cozies. I, for one thing, the readership is overwhelmingly female. Absolutely. Um, it really, you know, just a lot. Not, you know, obviously not everybody, but a lot. Um, and I think men are more drawn to kind of, um, you know, sort of more violence, more profanity. Um, well, I don't really have a problem with profanity, but if they want me to leave it out of the books, I can handle that. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, personally, if, if I had my way, there would be two versions of every book, one with the words that I would use in, in that situation and one with the words that, you know, people who like cozies want to hear. And I would do it both ways. And you could get it, you know, with a, you know, a stamp on the book that says, like, you know, cleaned up for your protection or whatever. Um, you know, that would be cool. I, 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 I respect people who don't want to be offended by the language. That's okay. Um, right. But I also think that when my character stumbles over a dead body and says, oh, drat, that's weird. <laughs> right. True. And, and just the fact but, that there's dead bodies yeah. is okay, too. Yeah, no, that nobody no. ever has a problem with that. that no, there's no problem with the dead bodies. It's no, how you talk the about body. the dead body. As long as, right. wait, you know, as long as you don't kill the pet. Can't kill the no. pet. No. No, you can't go near that. No. No. But... But people, no. rack them up. Body count, whatever you want. No, uh, whatever you got to do. And, and Don't the make violence it too has gory. to take place basically off stage. Right. right. But, you right. know, I guess I would, I guess I always kind of equate it to men are more Sherlock Holmes and women, I guess, would be more Agatha Christie readers, you know, because it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of in that realm. I but, guess. Although, you know, I mean, I mean I'm, my, my one of my favorite shows is Murder, She Wrote. What's that? One of my favorite shows is Murder She Wrote. I would love Murder no, She I'm Wrote. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not denigrating that at all. I'm not saying it's no, a bad thing. No, but I thing. get I'm you. Saying a lot more women read cozies than men. Yeah. I I don't know that that's that it necessarily breaks down under gender lines that way, because the Asperger's books are very kind of Sherlock Holmes, and most of the the feedback that I get oh. from readers is from women. Um, so they like that just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think That's you know, and you know, and go figure. I mean, you know, Lee Child has legions of female fans, and you know, he's like constantly, you know, Jack Reacher is constantly beating the living crap out of everybody. True. Um, you know, so yeah. I, I think there's a lot of crossover where you don't think there is. I think to some extent. I'm going to I have to be really careful about the way I say this because I don't want it to be misinterpreted. Some men will feel strange about being seen reading a cozy. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, a lot. Well, I've had conversations know. with Lisa Gardner and Karen Slaughter about that. And, you know, very much so when they're at signings, they, they even say that men sometimes feel weird coming up and buying their book and talking to them just because 
they're a woman writing a thriller. So I've had a lot of conversations with yeah. those two about that kind of thing. I mean, I find it kind of ridiculous. If it's a great, it doesn't, who, doesn't make a difference what author's name's on the cover. I think if the story's great, the story's great. And those exactly. books are every bit as gritty as a Lee Child or a Michael Conley or anybody else's. I mean, let's face Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I, I think that there's Better kind of that. a false, um, you know, gap created right. here that people think is there that really isn't there. My favorite emails that I get from readers are the ones who send something to E.J. Copperman and just assume that it's a woman. <laughs> then I think I've done my job right, you know, because the narrator is female and the, and the reader is female and the reader says right. that's authentic enough, you know, that I buy that, then I've done it right. Now, <laughs> I love it when people say to me, you know, like, how can you possibly write from the perspective of a, of a woman? Now, there's a guy, I don't know if you know him, um, who writes under the name Spencer Quinn. Mm-hmm. And his series is narrated... I've interviewed him a couple times. Okay, so you know him. Yep. His series is narrated by the detective's dog. Right. Okay? Yeah. I ran into him at a conference about your con sometime, and I had, to, I had to ask, I said, does anybody ever come up to you and say, how can you possibly write under the guise of a dog. And he says, no, it's never come up. <laughs> now, half the people I know are women. I get mm-hmm. to observe them. I'm married to one. I've been married to her for 30 years. Okay, so I get to watch her close up. The idea that I can't possibly write a convincing female character is hilarious to me. Exactly. If you're a writer, you can write people. You know, a dog... Nice try, you know, like, good luck with that. Who's going to check? Yeah, because the dog's <laughs> not going to tell you if you're right or wrong. Complaining. You know, I showed the book to yeah. my dog. He was like, yeah, it looks right to me. I don't know. My dog just peed on it. So. Well, that's, you know, he's yeah. marking his territory. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's just his dog. But I'll tell you, hey, EJ, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute blast. We actually ran over some time, but it was such a great <laughs> conversation. I didn't want to stop it. Um, and I want to remind everybody to go to ejcopperman.com for more information on all four series, including, of course, the latest book that is out now called Dog Dish of Doom, an Agent to the Paws mystery series, first book in the series. And, of course, go to ejcopperman.com for all the information on the other series. And, again, thank you so much for coming on, EJ. It has been fabulous. Wish you nothing but the best. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me. I'll come back anytime you want. All right, oh, we'd love good. that. Oh, Thank you well, so much. So, uh, so I guess we'll see you in a couple months, and then a couple months after that, and then three months after that, because <laughs> when you write, right? <laughs> you're not, you're not scaring me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, awesome. I scare a lot of people, but that, normally it's because well, they we see me, met, so I'm good know. on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. All right, EJ, you have a good one. We'll talk with you soon, man. Thanks again. You too, guys. Thanks a lot. All Thanks right, so bye-bye. So I will say it again, everybody, that is E.J. Copperman. Make sure you go to EJCopperman.com for more information on this book, Dog Dish of Doom. It is out now. You can buy it however you want to buy books. It is available in hardcover and Kindle. Um, So go to Amazon and go pick up your copy. And while you're there, check around and see the other series of A Haunted Ghost House Mystery. And then, of course, is um, uh, the Asperger's Mystery and then the Mysterious Detective Series. So make sure you check all that stuff out. So that was great to be able to talk with uh, EJ. So they're all a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, 
Yeah, and now it's been a couple weeks, and there's been a couple news. Let me start off with the news that I just saw today, because we're going to go a little geek squad here, I think, on this one. Um, I just saw the story uh, that Obi-Wan Kenobi is now going to have his own movie. And I got excited about that. And then I went out to lunch with a friend of mine, and we were sitting there talking, because he's a Star Wars guy too, and so we started talking, and we were like, how, where are they going to put this? How are they going to put Obi-Wan? Like, where, like, what time frame are they going to work on? Because it's a 20-year gap between the end of Sith and the beginning of A New Hope. Are they going to talk about that time frame? Because to me, that would actually seem the most boring time frame to do. Because the rebellion's kind of done. Everybody kind of goes into hiding. It would be like seeing Yoda eat bugs for 20 years in his little cave. Um, or do they go way back before he even gets with, you know, Genquan? Does he go all the way back that way? Or I, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to go on this. Um, but what do you I, – I would rather go all the way back than go to that 20-year period between Sith and A New Hope because I think that the story between Sith and A New Hope – is actually more of the Emperor and Vader than it is about anybody else of the Rebellion. Yeah, I, I understand why Disney is going back and doing all these um, prequels. Yeah, I mean, the Han Solo know, one should I, be cool. Well, I, I think so, but the truth is, you don't really know much about Han Solo prior to him meeting Luke for the first time in New Hope. So there's right. potential for some fantastic stories there. But, well, that's, that's you know, the other thing we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so, but Obi-Wan, you're absolutely right. There's this, there's not much that I really would want to see about him, honestly. Not, and between, so I'm a not between Sith and A New Hope, because that's just, to me, that, to me, that would be uninspiring, because there's really no... There's no confined enemy yet. He didn't fight any enemy. He was in the Clone Wars, and he kind of went into hiding. Then the rebellion kind of came up. We're not really sure. That's the one. Now, that's the mystery of the mystery. How did the rebellion start, and where did all that start coming from? Because that didn't start coming out until, of course, after Sith, and then it was already around in A New Hope, because there was no rebellion in the Sith, because there was technically no empire. So that's more of the story, I think, than... And you could do more of those more Rogue One movies in that time frame than doing an Obi-Wan movie. I think the Han will be cool because, yeah, it's going to show. But And I, we were talking about the Han movie, too. It has to answer three questions. And tell me if you think I'm right. you got to know how him and Chewie got together, right? Right. You also have to see him do the castle run in 12 parcels because he's mentioned that all the way through every movie. So you got to see yes. him do that, and why? Because the question is, not only did he did it, but why did he have to do it? Like, what was the what was the basis of that whole Kessel run? What was going on with that? And then the third one, well, of and course, is it a legend? Did he make it up? Well, that's true too. You know what I mean? Maybe he didn't, and he just exaggerates. You know, that's part of his deal. I'd love to see and that. Then, You're absolutely right. And then the third answer is, how did he get in such trouble with Jabba? You know the. You know, the, the last time he got in trouble with him, because he mentioned that the Empire boarded a ship and he had to dump his cargo, but that, 
wasn't the only time. That had to be more. He had to have more problems before then. So you get to see the smuggling part, and and I think that that's the interesting thing. Um, and so I think those. Are, so I don't know if there's any other questions. I think you have to have those three elements in there. I don't know if I missed anything I, that you would want to make sure you see in there. Well, well, no. I, I think that's that's really good. And obviously, him and Chewie have more than a friendship, and I'd like to see yeah. why that is. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Obi Wan film, you remember was it? I think it was Sith that you saw the Wookiee planet, and you saw Chewie because Yoda mentioned them, but there was still no Han. So in between Sith and A New Hope. That 20-year period is where Han and Chewie are. So that's going to take place in that 20-year period with Han. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to what they do. The reason, for me, Rogue One works so well is because it was an element of the original New Hope that they mentioned, and then we got to see it in action, and we didn't know anybody. And so it was all original characters and, and I think I it was cool to take you up to the beginning of Star Wars was the end of New Hope, or the end of uh, mm-hmm. Rogue One. That was cool. I did not expect that, that. That worked very well for me as well. But I honestly am not excited at all about an Obi-Wan film. I really am not. He's a, not a character that I, 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 I you know, like. I, I'm kind of with you. Really? I'm kind of with yeah, you. Yeah, um, I agree with you on that one. I would rather see, like I said, I would rather see a movie about the Emperor first because he has a massive backstory about how he became who he was, killing his master. How did he get Darth Maul? I mean, all of that stuff going up. I mean, his whole upbringing and, you know, getting to why does he want to create this empire? Like, what's the basis behind all of this? Um, And then... The story, like, and then you get that again. The twenty-year history of, you know, and they have a couple books written in that time frame of, you know, how did Vader go from the screaming no to being this absolute ruthless villain, the number one villain in movies of all time? How did that happen? Like, how did he go from that to that? So there's much. <laughs> I, I think Obi Wan is a. I don't. I'm not a big. I. I'll see it because it's Star Wars. But I'm with you. I think that they missed the mark by not doing some other people first. Well, for me, I would rather see them do stories in the universe with people I don't know so I fall in love with new characters rather than go back and tell stories that we know where they end up at a certain point. To me, that sort of eliminates some of the suspense. Well, and speaking of new stories, isn't Star Trek going to start telling us a new story here too? Let's get on to that slam. Uh, yes, but uh, back again to uh, <laughs> prequels. This uh, new show, Star Trek Discovery, will premiere on September 24th, and okay. it is set prior to Kirk. And, oh, so it's uh, like before so about, all of the Star Trek. Well, no, Enterprise was before all that, too. So it's set after Enterprise oh. and before the original um, so Enterprise, okay. I'm a geek. What do you want? I'm not. I'm not. I don't know the time frames that well. You know this much Star Trek a lot better than me. So Enterprise is the very like takes you back to the very, 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 very beginning. Yes, up to them starting the Federation in a sense, and okay. then uh, and now this is uh, it based on the 
previews and the things that are coming out about Discovery, it's the Klingon War. Oh. And uh, that that might be interesting. And okay, the main so, character is a first officer as opposed to a captain, which also might be interesting. So it's not the ship. Which is it a is it a ship? Or is it, are they going to be on a planet? Because then they were on that one. What was it? Deep Space Nine. That was like a space station. They've mentioned two ships, and they're being extremely secretive about everything in terms of the storyline. And I sort of have my hunches, but who knows if it's accurate or not. Um, We'll have to see. But what they're doing, which is interesting, uh, and Star Trek has always been experimental in this. When Next Generation came out, it was syndicated. And syndicated first-run shows weren't very common, so that's what they Mm -hmm. did. And then with the Voyager and Enterprise, it was on the uh, United Paramount Network. Now they're doing it on the CBS All Access streaming channel. So you have to pay for a subscription to watch the show. Past the first episode, the first episode will actually premiere on Sunday the 24th after the football game. Oh, so they're going to drag you in with the first episode, and then they're going to say, That's hey, if you want more... You're going to yeah, have to pay In fact, pay they're going to premiere the second episode online right away, right after the first oh, episode on regular network. Now, are they this, – now, this is a new concept, and they can only probably do it this way because it's Star Wars, right? I mean, they're – or not Star Wars, because oh, well, it's Star what Trek. Is it? I mean – Thank you. Star Trek. <laughs> well, they're, I'm, I fucked up. Okay. They're both in the stars. So, um, yes. because – they're they're trying to do it with a show that they know has a massive built-in following to see if this concept works, basically. I think CBS is trying to do – they see the success of Netflix and Amazon Prime doing their own stuff, so they're figuring, okay, we're going to maybe try to do it. And I think that's – you know, this is – and this is the first time a major network has tried to do this. And if it works, well, you know what you're going to see. It's not the first show, though, NBC. that they've done. Huh? They they did they do a show on uh, CBS All Access called The Good Fight, which is a yeah, but this to one, the, but this uh, but but this one is the first network show that they're bringing back out, right? As a well, pay show. No. <laughs> What's the other one? Well, the the good the good fight is like I said, it's a spinoff of The Good Wife, so. Yeah, but that doesn't count because this is Star Trek, and you can't – the good wife well, and the good fighter. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I what mean, you're trying to just, say. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that they're trying this new business model to kind of see how it works maybe and see if they could do it again because um, Amazon and Netflix, you know, when they do their new original shows in Hulu, they don't – they're all brand new original. You know, it's not like they're re – it's not like they're redoing – a, a show that's already been done and redoing it that way. So, there, so this is a little different. And speaking of that, Amazon's going to have Jack Ryan come out in 2018. That's pretty cool. See how that works. And it's by Carlton Cuse, which I'm thrilled about. Look forward to it. Yeah, so let's hope that they do that one right because there's so much that they could do wrong with it. And not having Clancy around, I don't know if it's going to help or hurt the series. Um, do we know if any of the authors that we know, like – well, I mean, is Greeny or Blackwood, I mean, are they going to be involved in this show? Or they're not even talking to them, probably, even though they're the writers of I the books right so. now. 
Yeah, no. And now it's Mark Cameron too, but yeah, no. Uh, right. And didn't and what was the one he just wrote? It's like in a white cover. I just saw it. Um oh shit. Uh Duty no, that's Duty and Honor, I think was Grant Blackwood. Um Pursuit Honor Pursuit, I I can't remember. Do you have it with you? Do you know it? Uh I'm looking on my shelf now. Because I believe it was a white cover. I think it had a white and like a like a, almost an all white cover with some black writing. And damn, it was like pursuit. Honor. Oh yeah, power I, and empire. That's right. Okay, kind of uh, okay. I was, I was way not even close. Um, except yeah. I had the P. So I had I knew there was a P word in there somewhere. Right. So I don't and know. And that actually doesn't I mean, come out until November. Okay. I mean, I know that the Bosch series was you know did did well. Um, and I know a lot of people like the Bosch series. I like um, it. Yeah. And so now this is going to be the second one that Amazon's done with Jack Ryan. So they're, you know, they're, they're going for the big ones. You know, they're they're going for the big ones with, you know, Ryan and uh, Bosch. So we'll mm-hmm. see. I, and I, Bosch must have been popular. I mean, they get the numbers of the streaming and whatnot. I mean, it must be popular in order to. Um, make them think that Jack Ryan's going to be, you know, good too. I mean, they're not going to lose money off of it, so they must be doing something. Well, and they have there. Conley working on the Bosch series with them. Right. So, yeah, um, that helps when you've got the author working on it, if you're a fan of his You story. know, I used to think that way until The Dark Tower came out, and then I don't think that way anymore. Oh, see, I, I didn't see it on purpose. Yeah, and King was involved in that. Oh, I didn't realize that. I'm so, sorry. Yeah, he was involved <laughs> in that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't so I don't I don't I don't agree with that sometimes. I think I think um if you have a really good writer and you have a really good director, I think you can just trust him because just because the, the author was involved doesn't always mean that first of all, as we know, that they're gonna get their say. Um, because they're not putting up any of the money, so they can have some say, but if somebody wants to go another direction, they're going to win, and their author's not going to win anything. Um, so, I don't know. We'll what do you think the, uh, about um, the Mitch Rapp movie that's coming out next month? Um, based on the Vince Flynn books. You know, I'm just so, I guess a little tired of, you know, political thrillers. So I'll probably wait and see it. Um, just because there's way too much politics right now in my face. I don't know if I can handle any more military thrillers. So I don't know. I'm, I Technically, I'm, I'm not excited at all. I just got to be honest. And it's just because of that. I think Vince, I, you know, I was able to interview Vince a couple times. He was the nicest guy from Minnesota. He was a Viking fan like me. We really hit it off. We talked for like an hour one time on the phone. And um, that was really great, but I, just the subject matter is just making it's just it's just a little you know it, it's just a little saturated for me right now. So I, I'm actually not excited because I'm just not into that genre. Well, he's he was one who did it right, and I have to say that Kyle Mills is doing a great job picking up the mantle of that series. But I honestly just don't know if it's going to work as a film. And the trailer for it leaves me just kind of shrugging my shoulders. What's the name of the movie? I'll so, look at the trailer and see it. Uh, American Assassin. Okay. All right. I'll look it up and see. And see it's got a great cast. And it comes too, out. But... It comes out in September. 
Yeah, the fifteenth, I believe. That's kind of a that's kind of a very weird day for a movie, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, let's put this. If it's not around Thanksgiving or Christmas, and it's not in the summer or like the early, or like the late spring, then it's almost just like a dump. Yeah, September um, in the film world is usually a dumping ground. They used to call that August, though. Well, I, t- I talked to... Now they're kind of moving um, stuff into August. I talked to a uh, a couple guys who were in who were in the film industry, and they used to tell me any movie that comes out January February they do that because they that was a movie that they wanted to come out in the end of the year so they could get you know Oscar rating or whatnot. But if they didn't do well in the beta stuff, then they just dumped it in January and February and forgot about it. They don't give a shit. You won't they won't do anything with it. They do not care. It's just it's made and they're not and they're just going to throw it out. So oh, wow. yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So any movie that you see coming out in January and February was a movie that did not rate well with viewers and pretty much just got dumped into January and February. And they don't. And the and the and the network does or the the movie studio does not expect it to do well at all. So and uh, I think one of the yeah. big ones was that gangster movie that was about three years ago with like Ryan Gosling and all these big actors. They dumped that in January. And it just died, just literally died on the vine. One of the things I was going to mention also about American Assassin is that it's R-rated, which is another surprise. Oh. Huh. Yeah, you. I would think that they'd want to go for a PG-13 rating for a bigger audience, but who knows? Let's see, it's got, uh, looking it up now on IMDb, it's got Michael Keaton in it. Exactly. Um, who, you know, is coming off, of course, as Spider-Man. Um, he was probably the best film they've had. Look for my uh, movie review oh, soon of the movie, by the way. David Salkett is in this, and of course he is Perot in the Perot shows. Um... Everybody else I don't really recognize by name, but I'll see if I recognize them by picture when I start looking at the trailer or whatnot. Um, yeah, September 15th. Oof, oof, oh, I don't know. Um, what's the budget for this movie? Was it a big that budget I movie? Know. I wonder if they, they don't have it up here yet. Normally IMDb will put that stuff up there, though, and I always look to see what a budget movie was. Um well, they filmed it in a couple different locations. Oh, let's see. No, England and Italy, it looks like, was the filming for this movie. So let's hope it does well um, because, you know, I, I think that if Vince was still alive, I, I mean, you know, of course we would send, you know, Mitch Rapp would have been, uh, who knows where we would have been today. I mean, like you said, Kyle's doing a good job, but, you know, you always wanted to see the, uh, the, the, you know, the original guy. Yeah, uh, the guy playing Mitch Rapp is a young actor who's been on Teen Wolf and in the Maze Runner movies. But isn't that kind of funny that Vince got, uh, Mitch Rapp got the deal before Brad Thor got a deal? Hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. Hmm. Just thought about that. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, good question. I don't um, know. what do we got coming up? Who's coming up on the next show? I don't even know. Do we have one scheduled? I think we have one scheduled. I know it's in two weeks. I don't know if we have a guest yet. 
Uh, we haven't discussed that. We'll have to get but a guest. But we will have an awesome guest as always. Yeah, we'll have to get a guest. And um, we'll, we'll find somebody. EJ sure was awesome. So thanks again and, for uh, talking to us. Yeah. Who? EJ was awesome. So it was great. Thank EJ you. EJ was awesome. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll get somebody to come on in the next two weeks. So we will be back then on. What is. Uh, let me see. I don't know. I don't have my calendar in front of me. What's two weeks from today? That would be the 29th. Uh, day after like Labor September Day. September 5th, right? Day after Labor Day. Yeah. 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 So it's like September 5th. So we'll be back September 5th. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens from there. So, I don't know. I think we just wrap <laughs> it up. I think it's time to go. We just got to have right, a well. soft closing. You know, we don't really close out hard. You know. Yeah, we well, um, end I hope you got to see the eclipse, and I hope you have fun. I did. But you know what? We ended this show a lot better than that Afghanistan war is ending. So, I'll just say that, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. And on that note, everybody, thanks so much for listening. We will see you all in two weeks. Jeff. Have a wonderful time. All right. Well, you do the same. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're still there. Thanks, everybody. See you in two weeks. Enjoy. And remember, ejcofferman.com. Check out the newest book. You'll be glad you did. Until next time, keep reading. Later, everybody. Good night.